And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up a false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth would destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. God is good. Amen. God is good all the time. Um, I used to go to a, a retreat. I used to serve at a retreat at a camp um, in Korea. And every time we, the leaders were trained to gather before the worship service, and then one person would grab onto one chair. And 10 minutes before service started, we would pray for the person who would sit in that chair. Prayed and we prayed, please let him meet Jesus today. Please let him accept uh, if he didn't believe. Please let him grow mature if, he's not a, if he is a believer. And we prayed uh, until the worship started. And I was thinking of that, and I was wishing we could do that. Um, you know, 10 minutes before service, coming in here and praying for an empty chair. And what happens is when someone steps into that chair, you start caring for that person. Uh, you start asking that person's name, even though if, if you don't know him, because you prayed for him. And that's a beautiful thing to do. Uh, it really is. But at the same time, there's one part of me that wouldn't do that for beyond a year. Because once you start doing that, then suddenly you have people subtly proud that they're doing that before service and looking down on people who are not doing that. And then suddenly there comes three forms of legalism, keeping it even though your heart is not in it. Another form of legalism is uh, adding that onto uh, tradition and, 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 and giving it a force that it never had. And then the final thing is you would uh, add human tradition to that and say that it is divine. And that turns into legalism. And there is a very delicate balance between living according to the Holy Spirit and living according to tradition and laws. And we're going to dive into all of that today. And this really deserves all of our attention, uh, a lot of thoughtful hearts and minds as we listen to this. So let's pray. Uh, let, would you join me in asking God to wake us up and listen to his plea to us? Let's pray. Lord, our wonderful Father, our Savior, 
with steadfast and covenant love, please awaken your church not to just see what the times are like and not to just see what we need to do for the society, but please awaken the church that we would see your face, that we would see what you are doing in our midst and not just let us see you, but follow you, be devoted unto you, and be glad in who you are. Holy Spirit, please work in the hearts and minds of those who listen to your word today. May it be an unadulterated word that comes not from my lips, but from yours. And throughout this process, let our hearts, let there be an operation uh, that digs out legalism from our hearts and that helps us understand that we must be in a living relationship with God himself to continue serving your church and to serve you. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, when Robinson Crusoe, uh, if you read that book pretty long, uh, long time ago, right? Um, he's a fictional character, and he's stranded on an island, an uh, uninhabited island. And the first thing that he does to survive is, anyone remember uh, what he does to survive? He creates a fence, right? He creates a fence, and then he sets up a calendar, and he counts how many days he's been here, and he sets up a routine, right? So a fence and a routine. And oftentimes, uh, long-time survivalists, they tell you that in context of sustained survival in an in a uncharted land, you need two things, which is basically a structure and tradition, in other words. You need a platform and you need a schedule, a shelter and a schedule. And so these are so ingrained into our survival that without a structure and without a tradition or a way of doing things, we can't process how to survive. And that's why we were talking about last week the paradox of structure and today the paradox of tradition. Now, there was a study once done by Schwartz, Guido, and Lennox. These were people who were working on neurology and providing a neurological explanation of corporate behavior and habits. Now, as they're doing so, they found out that we are, our brains are so good at pattern recognition and it reduces the amount of information that we process so we can focus on more important things. So if you notice, if you ever drive to a place for the first time, it seems like a very long trip. It's only 15 minutes. And after you go there every day, let's say you're commuting there, it turns into, it feels like a two-minute trip because your brain is reducing the amount of information that is, it, because it's no longer new. And pattern recognition is making it subconscious. And so that's why driving a car is no longer difficult. That's why riding a bike, you never forget how to do it. It's because pattern recognition is what our brain is specialized in. And what's happening is you store information basically where the most basic functions of the human activity happens. And so it's pattern recognition, it's habit recognition, and it becomes as easy as breathing and, and washing your teeth, right? I mean, who has to think about how to brush their teeth? And so this is happening on a very basic level. So whenever people talk about tradition and habits and you threaten that, it turns into a threat against your safety, right? 
And so as people say, hey, let's do this differently, let's do this differently, the, re the reason people are so against that is because it's in the most basic functions of their brain. And so we realize when Stephen finishes his sermon today, uh, it's the longest sermon in the book of Acts. So he finishes his speech. That's why people are doing this. They're like, I can't hear you, I can't hear you. And they rush at him to kill him. Why? Because he has challenged a tradition that has gone on for centuries. And so the paradox of tradition that we want to talk about is this. In an organizational setting, tradition is necessary because it helps people uh, find background and find identity. It establishes deep roots and it institutionalizes people so that you have a common identity and it creates a sense of stability. And so, for example, if you see two Korean men, men, and they don't know each other, but they say, hey, like I was in this pude, uh, right? I was serving in this uh, army. And basically as they're talking about that, suddenly because it, even though they don't know each other, the traditions of the army camp that they were in tie them together so that they immediately identify who they are, right? And so I don't have that. I've never been to the Korean army, and sorry for saying that. <laughs> um, at the same time, you have uh, mothers who've been through a painful process of giving birth. And as soon as you have two mothers talking to each other, they click automatically because the shared experience and process of going through um, pregnancy and labor ties them together. And so tradition is very useful on a social and an organizational level, but the paradox of tradition in the church is that tradition replaces something that, that shouldn't be replaced. And what is it that we're replacing through tradition? Everyone repeat after me. We need an active, present tense, sensitivity, and obedience to Jesus. Amen? So tradition replaces sensitivity and obedience to what Jesus is doing because it's a habit now, right? You don't ask someone how to brush your teeth anymore, and that's good, but what if you're too independent? And that's what we're tackling today. You see, the church is different from the world, amen? The church is different from the world. Uh, we, you know, worldly organizations, they need predictability and protocols and standards, and they need rules and regulations. The church, uh, not the church, other religions need deep-rooted tradition. They need a burial site for their holy ones. They need places to pilgrimage to. That's what maintains the tradition of other religions. But the church is a living body of Jesus Christ who serves a living God. Amen? We're not looking to the past to see what we should do. We have the ongoing presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, of course, on the foundation of the Word. And so the, the church, by its very nature, is not meant to thrive on tradition. It's meant to thrive on a living relationship and obedience to God through the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's so necessary today. And so you see here, for example, if we had a fixed routine, and if that fixed routine doesn't allow you to discern God's will and question it, then it is a routine that is not helpful for your life because you're the church, your family's life because your family is a church, and also us as KCPC. For example, Right before service, we come in and we chat. And then right after that, we have an elder pray for us after we do worship. And then we sit down, and then we stand up for the Apostles' Creed, and we sit down again. And all these things that we do in liturgy, 
I have to ask you a question. Are you habitually doing that? Or do you understand the intent and the purpose behind that? The spirit of that liturgy, why we're doing it? Because once we get so used to it, we forget what it's about. And so what we need is not tradition. What we need is in verse 8. We have to be filled with grace and power through the Spirit. Amen? Grace and power. So it says in verse 8, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing what? Great wonders and signs amongst the people. Great wonders and signs amongst the people. Now Stephen, look at, his, look at who he is. He was chosen last week, right? He was chosen in last week's chapter 6. And he was known to be a man filled with the Holy Spirit. So he's chosen, and then he's raised, and immediately he's filled with grace and power, and he's doing ministry. So he's not an apostle. He was probably chosen as a deacon role. And he was also not a traditional Hebraic Jew. He was a Hellenistic Jew. And so he didn't have centuries of Judaism to rely upon. He didn't have the authority of the newly forming church as an apostle. What he didn't have was tradition. But what he did have was the polar opposite. It was grace and power. Grace and power. Usually, I never compliment a person in Scripture. Okay, so let's say we're doing a Bible study and a sermon on David. I would never tell you, be like David, because he was a fallen person, right? And so I would tell you that in David in his good moments pointed to Jesus and in his worst moments he stood for our humanity and our sinfulness. So I would never say, let's be like David. And there's a moralistic sense in us where we look to a model in Scripture and we just suddenly want to become like him. And so unless that person is Jesus, I would say, don't be like that person unless it's Jesus. But Stephen now is a little different. He is the first lay person who is filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you recover the image of God and you become exactly the humanity that you're created to be. And so this is a lay person, a common person, filled with sin, and yet he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's filled with grace and power because he's restored to the image of God. And so for the sake of today's sermon, I would say, be like Stephen. Be filled with grace and power through the Holy Spirit. He stands for a new paradigm of people who are filled with God and live out his purposes without rules and laws and regulation, but by the heart of God himself. That's what we're looking to. So in verse 9, okay, so we have the complete opposite of what Stephen is. And so Stephen is presented here filled with grace and power. Now we have a group of people filled with something else. Listen to this. You have people here called the freed men, along with the Cyrenians, Alexandrians, uh, Sicilia, and Asia. And so you have these new group of people. These are synagogue leaders. Now, there are Bible studies and, you know, commentaries that talk about the freedmen. And the freedmen are basically seen as former people who were slaves and servants of Roman masters. And these are Jewish people who served Roman people, and they have just been released. Their contract was up. They've been freed on, on goodwill, for example. So they are now freed men. Now imagine, if you were a Jewish person, and you were just freed from a Gentile, a non-Jewish family, and now you're forming a community. What is it that you need the most to form a community? Commonality, right? Something in common. And so they are Jewish people who didn't have a Jewish past, 
And so they're staking their lives on becoming more Jewish so that they would have an identity again. And so the ironic thing is these are called freedmen, but they are slaves to tradition. They're called freedmen, but they are slaves to what the Jewish people did throughout history. That's why they know their history so well. Colossians 2.8 says this, See to it, see to it, that no one takes you captive by what? Philosophy and empty deceit. And listen to this, according to human tradition. Don't let anyone take you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. What it's saying is, don't be enslaved by human tradition. Be enslaved to Jesus. No one is free. No one has moral agency free apart from either Satan or God. You're serving one or the other. And so it says here, don't be enslaved to yourself or the world or the flesh. It means that you're serving Satan. Be enslaved to something else. Christ. Fullness of the Holy Spirit. So these freedmen are, are contrasted with Stephen here. Stephen filled with the Holy Spirit and freed men, ironically enslaved to traditions. Now, why is this so important? This contrast right here. Stephen had the shortest recorded ministry in the book of Acts. He was chosen a chapter ago, and he dies a chapter later. And he has the shortest ministry, but Luke gives him the longest real estate in the book of Acts. All of chapter 7 is Stephen's sermon, and no other apostle gets that amount of length. Because Luke is not only vindicating Stephen, and not just vindicating the early life of the church, Luke is saying, this is what you need to catch on to. There's a way to live. Human tradition, Jewish tradition, Gentile tradition, non-tradition. There's a way to live according to that. And then you also have another way. Life according to obedience in the Holy Spirit. And Luke is saying, this is a paradigm changer for all of us. You have a choice. And that's why he devotes so much in chapter 7 to this. What's the problem of legalism? It's lifeless. It doesn't have power. It offends God and His grace. Legalism does so. And what also happens, why is legalism useless? Verse 10. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen was speaking. They couldn't withstand the wisdom and the spirit. So we see here, tradition versus wisdom and grace and power. And know what happens? Tradition and human wisdom always lose. It always loses. And I don't want you to think of a debate right now. I want you to think of your own lives. Are any of you sick of losing? How many of you have lost your battle against sin the past week? And if you think of it, was that sin the same sin that you struggled with the past week? And how long has it been going on for? And how has tradition and yoga and meditation and self-help books helped you overcome the thing that you are failing to win against, that you can't withstand in your human tradition and understanding? I'm sick and tired of losing. <laughs> I hope you are. 
Like, I think the biggest reason that we don't come in the church smiling and jumping for joy is because we recently lost to something. We got our butts kicked when we came in here. Those who are constantly gossiping about neighbors, constantly falling into lust and pornography, people who are always envious and comparing, you know what they're filled with? It is with the wisdom of their own tradition. And they always lose. They always lose. But for the weak, you and I are weak, amen? For the weak, there's one way to recover power and grace. What is that? Ephesians 3.16, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. The only way that we can have power is through God's spirit in your inner being. And that's the secret. How do you not lose every week? We become filled with his spirit and we get the power that comes from God himself and not from the things that we try to use to replace God with that we don't need to seek God for. Have you noticed that the Christian who has power and self-control and who's filled with joy, that person doesn't trust himself. That lady doesn't trust herself. And she throws her hands and she throws her crown and jumps upon the feet of Jesus so that my weaknesses could be replaced by his strength. That's the strength that we're looking for. And tradition makes you think that you don't need that. Every single second, we should be asking God what we should be doing, asking Him for wisdom, asking Him for power, and yet we have protocols. And we know what to do already. We're too wise. Some things make sense. Yeah, like my hand is on fire. Yeah, like I don't have to ask the Lord. I, I need a Dunkin' water. But that's too common. I, I preach to the youth every now and then that we make 35,000 decisions a day. 99% of it is subconscious. And it's according to a pattern. How many times do we ask, Lord, what toothpaste should I use? Lord, which car should I ride? For your glory. Lord, how can I do this so that I would be empowered? Because I've tried things my way and I fail every week. Why was Samson so powerful? A man like him, morally debased man. Why was he so powerful? Because he was what? Devoted to God from youth. It wasn't his hair. It wasn't uh, the things that he did. He was devoted to God from youth as a Nazarene. Never cut his hair. Uh, didn't drink strong wine because every single part of him was devoted unto God and God was his sole proportion. God would be the only thing that could satisfy his life as a Nazarene. His status was before God. How do we have power? Full devotion to God and not to tradition, not to common sense, not to wisdom. Amen? I do, are, do, do you understand why this is practical? You go on cruise control, you will fail. And we've experienced that for however long you've lived. But you go and ask God what you need and rely upon him for his spirit to lead your life. And there will be victory, power, and grace. And I'll know that the next time I see you when you come through those doors, your face will look like that of an angel. 
in verse 11, we see this narrative continuing. These tradition-infused people, the freed men, secretly instigated men, they start lying, they start doing conspiracy, they start setting up false witnesses, and they say this, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place. The temple was now an idol now. Okay, the temple didn't serve his purpose. That's why Jesus said this whole place will be destroyed in three days. And the law, the law wasn't functioning according to a spirit. Only the format of the law was being kept. For we have heard Stephen, this man, say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change what? The customs that Moses delivered to us. And that has everyone angry. Customs and traditions passed down forever. And these people are angry that those are being challenged. And this thing is really interesting. You couldn't, as a Jewish official, you couldn't execute someone unless you had Roman permission because they were, a, they were basically enslaved to Rome. They were on, uh, operating under its good graces. And so you needed a Roman governor, governor saying, I see the legal issues at hand, and I therefore give you permission to execute him. But there's one excuse, one uh, exception, where you, can ex uh, where you can execute a Jewish person by a Jewish official when? When you say something against the temple and God himself. And so that's why they're bringing up this strategy. It didn't work for Jesus. Jesus was too wise, and he escaped this. But it's working now with Stephen. They're basically saying, hey, like he's full of wisdom and power and grace, and we don't know how to refute him. But let's say tradition is being broken here, and we'll kill him. So that's what's happening. And one thing that we have to kind of sense here is this. Do you know that your preference for tradition, your way of doing things is so strong that you would lie, cheat, and murder even to preserve that? Do you get this? Like, like okay, let's go into our daily Christian lives. Some of you see each other. You have different personalities, and you just don't like each other. You just don't vibe. Like, hey, like, we're just different. Like, I'm just going to, you know, be separate from that person. It's because your way of doing things and that person's way of doing things just collide, and your survival is on the issue. Your survival is on the line. That's why we can't love one another because what? Your way of doing things is being challenged. And let's not pretend it's not happening here. There are people who refuse to serve on the same leadership boards because that person's way of doing things is so different from mine. I want you to be challenged. How can the church be a place for everyone? Everything according to Scripture. Amen? Sola Scriptura. Right. Everything according to Jesus. And his life could not be compartmentalized. The people, the freedmen, are so angry that they're willing to kill Stephen, and it, it makes sense. Because the only option to destroy tradition, the only other option is this, is complete devotion unto God. Do you get that? And so you either devote yourself to tradition and your way of doing things, and you, or you totally devote yourself to God, and when you mix the two together, it's not a good thing. It's not, you know, thesis and antithesis and synthesis. It's not that. It's God and anything else, if you mix them together, is syncretism, and God hates that. That's what all the prophets talk about. Don't mix God with the worship of other things because God is holy. And so this is what it's saying. The only other option to not live according to tradition is to live according to God alone. 
devotion to God alone. And if you look at our teenagers, the reason that they're so lacking in power and grace is because this. They're usually addicted to four things. Uh, they're addicted to pornography and Fortnite and weed and, and social media. And what's happening is as they grow into their 20s and 30s, they only replace those things with something else. And what's happening is their mind is so fragmented on concentrating on so many things that there is no single-minded devotion to God alone. We're so good at multitasking that God is one of the compartments that we utilize when we need Him. But what needs to happen is not syncretism, not giving God His time when we want to do so, is fully devoting ourselves to His life. That's where you get power and grace. And I challenge you, will you devote your lives to God? Fully devote your lives to God. Not thinking about grades or your workplace or how to do well there. That will come when your life is centered on God. God will give you wisdom to live out your corporate life and your student life. But if you are fully devoted to God, grace and power that cannot be withstood, that's what we need. The church is meant to operate that way. Be people totally devoted unto God. And then what happens if you're like that? What happens when KCPC becomes like that? What happens when all of us are only devoted to God alone, fully living with Him and stepping alongside of Him alone? Verse 15, They gazed at Him, and all who sat in the council saw that His face was like that of an angel. It says Stephen's face was like that of an angel. And in Scripture, this has a meaning. It's not saying that, you know, he went to the Mogyuktang, like, no, he, like, he is looking like that because it's pointing to an ancient event. It stands for a communion with God. That's when your face shines. You're filled with the Holy Spirit and joy and life and all the good fruit of the Holy Spirit is coming out of you. And what it's representing is this. It's pointing back at Moses. And so these legal scholars, these legalists, are, looking, are accusing this person, hey, you, you're saying everything against Moses, so we hate you, we're going to kill you. And ironically, Stephen is representing Moses right now because Moses went up to Sinai and he received the law of God, but the law of God has as its foundation a covenant relationship with God. And so he saw God's face, and his face was so bright that he had to put a veil over his face. So ironically, the people are getting the format of the law correct, that's why they know the history and everything, but they don't know, they don't actually have what Moses had, which was a relationship with God. It's pointing to communion. And so you have to understand this. If you have rules to obey, that means you have a relationship with the lawgiver. Like children, if you are grounded, blessed are you, because you have parents. And if you have laws to follow, it means you have a lawgiver, a father, who cares for you and gave you a way to flourish according to those laws. So a law points to a lawgiver, a relationship. They had the law, but no relationship. That's what legalism is. The freedmen could accurately describe the history of Israel. Like, they probably agreed with everything that Stephen said in the beginning of chapter 7. They knew the history of Israel, and yet, 
Yet, they didn't have what Stephen had. Grace, power, a face like an angel, joy and fullness and life. They could name him. They didn't have what he had. They could name him, but they didn't have what he had. I love my Reformed brothers and pastors. I love them. But one thing we're so good at is naming things, but not having it. Naming things, but not having a more intense relationship with God himself. For example, we say, we look at something, and we say, oh, that's racism. And we look at something else, we call that, oh, that's Christian nationalism, okay? And then we look at something else, oh, we call that, you know, pre-tourism. And we have predestination. We have all these sophisticated names. We call this theonomy. And, you know, we call this modalism. And we have every heresy under the book. But why do our faces look like demons sometimes? Like, why are we so angry all the time? Why is there no power in life in our lives? We can name it, but we don't have it. We don't have him. And I wonder how much of this pertains to your life. We have effectively categorized every person that we don't like in our lives, and yet, are you holier because of it? Are you more righteous because of it? God created us to have his spirit. And through that, we would have grace and power and joy and life so that our faces would show with the inner radiance of the Holy Spirit. I wish you had that, amen? Like, I want that, amen? Our church doesn't need to do anything if the individual members of the church are like that. Like, just be who you are. Go into the world and you will give birth to more spiritual life if you are just like this. Joy, peace, that attracts so many people. Like moss to a light, it attracts people, it has power. But start giving them laws. Start giving them, you know, this is step number 1 through 12. This is what you need to do to be a Christian. They won't come, but they see power, they see life, they flock to that. Because the world doesn't have it, can't imitate it, can't withstand it. So I pray that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit, go out to the world, so that the world either tries to stone you or they will follow you. Be men and women of crisis. Cause crisis wherever you go because you are so filled with the Holy Spirit and the world doesn't have it, doesn't have that power, doesn't have that life, and so they need to see where you are getting yours. And that's where you say, I have a living relationship with God through Jesus Christ, His Son. May our small groups be like that. May our families be like that. May you be like that. Now we're going to go to the end of Stephen's sermon here. This is this verse 51. Now in this sermon, he talks about the whole history of Israel until then. And he gives you three points that you should memorize. These are summaries of his sermon. Number one, what, he say, what he's saying is, worship wasn't confined to a certain location. We had the tabernacle, but they wondered. And so me saying things against this temple doesn't mean that you're actually worshiping, right? And so coming to the temple doesn't mean that you're worshiping. And that has so much solid ecclesiology in it, the study of the church. Are we worshiping just because we are here? No, some of you are still thinking about golf. Some of you are thinking about fishing right now. Like, <laughs> it's a joke, um, but there was a previous uh, worship service I attended, and so many bulletins were, were rolled up like this, right? And uh, the people that were doing this in the sermon, they're thinking of fishing. <laughs> people doing this were thinking of golfing, right? But even when we're here, 
like, we're not worshiping. And Stephen's saying that. Worship is done in spirit and in truth and the spirit. Point number one. Point number two, he says, you killed those people who say you get, who gave you tradition. Like, you killed the prophets. Like, your fathers persecuted all of them. Don't talk to me about tradition. Because you killed all of them. And the final point, you didn't obey anyway. You didn't obey anyway. You say that these laws came from God, but you didn't obey anyway. No wonder these men killed him. Everything that they did and explained their lies was being threatened by this man filled with grace and power. This is the conclusion of Stephen's speech. He says, you stiff-necked people, you are circumcised not in heart and ears, You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, you also did. Which of the prophets did your fathers persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, and you also killed the righteous one by your traditions. You're circumcised in the flesh, but not circumcised in heart and ears. For example, we're reading Scripture every day and praying every day, but do we have Jesus Like, do we know that Jesus came to give us a new heart that seeks not format but spirit? Not the format but spirit. I'll explain that a little later. Do we understand that Jesus loved us so much that he took pity upon us who are blinded by tradition and according to our common sense and human wisdom? And he came and allowed us to kill him through our traditions. That's how much he loved us. Only a person with a circumcised heart can understand this. And then verse 53, this is the conclusion. You who received the law as delivered by angels, and you did not keep it. You did not obey. That's why tradition is used often in disobedience. You get that? Let's look at this. Stephen's final argument is that you've received the law, but you didn't obey it. You had format without substance, tradition without spirit. And this is what we do every single day today even. So just one quick example. Let's look at the burnt offering system. The burnt offering. Leviticus, okay? In my grandparents' generation, uh, if you were lucky, you had a cow. And usually you sold that cow right when your children would go to college to pay for their tuition. And so you raise that cow for about, what, 15 years? And it grows alongside your family, right? And the day that you sell it, it's such a uh, heart-tearing process that only the men would go to the market and sell it. And, and, and the wives and the children would stay home and their neighborhood would actually weep because they lost something like a son. And the same thing is happening when you offer a burnt offering. The Israelites would see this precious, blemishless cow that they have raised up. And then they would take it to the, to, to the high priest. And you would see it being slaughtered before your eyes. Its head cut off, its neck cut so that it would bleed out. And you, see, you hear this thing crying out. And you see the skin being ripped off. And you see being cut every ligament and joint. And as you see this thing being dismembered before you, you remember how you raised it up like a child. And you see, you know, every adult cow has about 7 to 10 gallons of blood. It's dripping all of that all over the place. That's supposed to give you a visceral, visual representation of the horror of sin and the glory of God's holiness. But what happened? You became, we became comfortable 
custom happened. And so now, it's, it's too much of a hassle to take that cow to all the way to Jerusalem. So you leave the cow home, you go to uh, the temple, you buy a cow there that's, that has excellent quality. And then what happens is your worship is no longer personal. It doesn't tear you apart. You see a, some, someone else's cow and it turns into an economical transaction. And now what I'm doing is I have automatic wire transfers to KCPC every week. And where is the pain in that? Where is the self-giving of that? I mean, it's, it's good. It's good that you're offering. That's wonderful. But does it come with your beating heart? Are you wire transferring your blood? And so that's what tradition and custom does. You get used to it and used to it, and you lose the spirit of the personalness of it. So it is with every law of the Old Testament. It was designed to do something to your heart, and custom gets rid of it and you just keep the format of it. Moses said, don't hate your brother. Don't murder. But what's the purpose of that? It's not to make us rejoice, hey, I didn't kill a brother today, amen. That's not it. Jesus knew the spirit of the law. He came to love brothers who hated him. Jesus fulfilled every aspect of the spirit of the law not just kept his format, but kept his tradition and kept its spirit so that he would fulfill everything. When Jesus died for us, he didn't tithe 10% of his blood. He didn't give 10% of his life. He gave it all because that was the spirit of the law to offer everything. That's what we have today. And so those who are in Christ, we have to understand the magnificence of being in Christ. In Christ, if you believe in him, you have a person who fulfilled all the law for you. And the way to live your Christian life is right now, what? Living with him in your heart. Living with him, guiding your mind. Living with him as your king, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Then you will fulfill all the law and more. Amen. That's where power comes from. A heart that desires to fulfill the law because you have Jesus. The gospel of Jesus. Let's look at the slide, uh, the last one. Oh, sorry, the second one. The gospel of Jesus makes us turn from tradition to living obedience. Tradition to living obedience. Amen? This is the paradox of tradition in the church we have now living obedience. That's what we're made for. Do you have the life and death of Jesus? He lived the life that you should have lived, and he died the death that you should have died. And when you have him, you have the fulfillment of all tradition, all culture, all laws that the Old Testament pointed to. And then, when you have faith in Jesus, you will be truly freed men and women, freed men and women filled with the Spirit. If there's a single tradition that we want to create today, repeat after me. Through word and prayer, may I encounter Jesus before I start my day. That's all we need. We need to encounter Jesus, live in obedience to him. If that means going against culture, amen. If that means conforming to culture, amen. Obedience. Obedience. What that means is that he has to cause us 
to focus on Him. That means we have to be disturbed and shaken every now and then. Do you get that? And so with that in mind, we're going to read a poem together. I'll read a part and then you read the following part. And as we read it, let's ask God to disturb us so that we would focus not on the way of doing things and making life more efficient, but look at obeying Jesus as our primary goal. So let's stand up. Let's read this poem together. Please put your heart in it. If our hearts didn't go in the wire transfer, let's let our hearts go into this and let this be your confession. So I'll read and then read the next one, okay? Disturb us, Lord. When our dreams have come true because we have dreamed too little. Disturb us, Lord. Having fallen in love with life, we have ceased to dream of eternity. Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly. We're losing sight of land. We shall find the stars. We ask you to push back the horizons of our hopes and to push into the future in strength, courage, hope, and love. May you lose sight of the land. May you lose sight of anything that gives you too much comfort, anything that keeps you from devoting your life to Jesus. May you lose that so that Jesus would be the only person that you could look to, the only hope you have that is the greatest blessing that we can have because we are the church. Let's worship.